The Old Testament lesson for the 17th Sunday after Trinity is from Proverbs chapter 25. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court, for what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself, and do not reveal another's secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you and your ill repute have no end. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On the surface, it sounds like Jesus is giving instructions for how to be polite and how to save yourself some embarrassment when you go to a party. Don't take the highest seat because somebody's going to come along who's more important than you and then you get put to the bottom. Better to sit in the worst seat and wait for that invitation. Come on up, friend. You take a higher place. You deserve better than that. It sounds like a simple lesson about etiquette. It's the kind of thing the world really knows pretty well. At least if you show some humility... If you put on a show of humility, you will be treated better than if you are openly, outwardly proud, exalting yourself. But of course, there's more going on there. Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, it is not those who exalt themselves who receive glory, but it is those who are humbled and exalted by God. They are the ones who receive glory, and that is the kind of person you should strive to be. But I don't want to talk about that etiquette lesson in this sermon today. Here's another etiquette lesson that we learn in Proverbs. I want to look at the center of that Proverbs lesson today. Here's the lesson. To and not about. To and not about. Here's what that means. Think about your words. What you might say. To or about someone. Say it to him and not about him. That's the lesson. Say it to your neighbor and not about your neighbor. Now, you've heard more commonly this etiquette lesson. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all, which I know how popular that is, but I heartily disagree with that. (laughs) Because what it results in is lots of people who don't ever say things that aren't nice, but guess what? They think them. They hold them in their hearts walking around biting their tongue, not saying all of the unkind, unnice things that they're thinking, that rule, as much as it maintains civility, that rule doesn't cut it. And this rule from Proverbs is better. Say it to your neighbor and not about him. Take a look at this lesson from Proverbs. There's these middle verses, starting with the last part of verse 7. The last part of verse 7 through verse 12 See how there are three points that Solomon is making. First of all, what your eyes have seen, do not bring hastily into court. What your eyes have seen, do not bring hastily into court. Number two, in verse nine, argue your case with your neighbor himself. And then verse 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold 
in a setting of silver. Three steps in thinking about this rule. Say it to your neighbor and not about him. First of all, what your eyes have seen, do not bring hastily into court. And you might think right away, as I did, about this litigious society that we live in, where people go to McDonald's and they buy a hot cup of coffee and then they spill it on themselves and then they get to sue McDonald's, taking hastily to court something that happened to them just because they didn't have the common sense to recognize that coffee is hot or that you shouldn't iron your clothes while you're wearing them, whatever it might be. That's one way people are hasty to bring things to court, but that's not. That garden variety of litigiousness, that's not what Solomon's about here. There are other courts that also take place, much less in view of the world, much less publicly, much less openly. And the first court is the court of, have you heard? The court where you take what you have seen and you bring it to someone who you know will enjoy it just as much as you do. What your eyes have seen, your heart thinks right away, I've got to tell, I can't wait to tell somebody about this. Whether it's because it's just ridiculous, can you believe what they did? Or whether it's because of the injustice you have suffered. Can you believe what they did to me? What your eyes have seen, it's so tempting to take hastily into that court. Finding someone who will be on your side and telling them, giving testimony, putting on trial this person. And of course, you can see right away the problem with this court. It's stacked. You were in charge of jury selection and you chose somebody who hates that kind of person just as much as you do. It's an unfair trial, and that makes it a bad trial. You go around looking for someone to share this news, what your eyes have seen with. Think about all the people you wouldn't share it with. Those are probably the people you should talk to about it. The people who would correct you, who would say, hey, maybe you didn't hear the whole story. Maybe you should think twice about spreading that around. Those are the people you should talk to about it. But who do we go to first and foremost? The people who will be on our side. We love that court. The court of, have you heard? It's a place where we can take our neighbors and we can get a conviction right away. Then we're glad we solved that problem. No big deal. It's like, however, the nonchalance with which somebody who's smoking a cigarette in his car flicks that cigarette out the window. That's what these kinds of words in this court accomplishes. St. James tells us that those kinds of words... Loose words like that, they seem like a small thing, but they can kindle a forest fire. So many forest fires you know are caused by somebody flicking their cigarette out the window. What's the big deal? I'm just getting rid of a little bit of trash. And then all of a sudden, all of that dry kindling in the wayside is ignited. And here's the thing that you should know about your words. They are a spark, and you live in a very dry world. Where the grass and the trees are just waiting to erupt with flame, and so... Mind your words. Do not bring your neighbor hastily into the court, waiting to show how he's guilty to your friends, to people who will commiserate with you. Don't do that. But we cannot stop there. That's as much as this rule. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. That's as much as that rule accomplishes. But here's, again, the problem. It means that there's all kinds of people walking around thinking things in their hearts that are not nice. They're just not saying them. So people see you and they say, well, you've, you've got something to say, don't you? <laughs> Why is your tongue so bloody? Because you're biting your tongue all the time? What do you want to say? Tell us. Go ahead and tell us. It doesn't work just to stop there with not saying the thing to someone else because there's another court, which is perhaps more vicious, more unjust, 
And that is the court in your own heart. So we love to take the things we have seen, the things our neighbor has done, and to take that neighbor and bind them up and shackle them and beat them up a little bit and make them all bedraggled and miserable and drag them into the court in our human heart and put them in the, in the stand and prosecute them and interrogate them. And you look around in this courtroom while you're sitting there with your neighbor on the stand and you look around and you see a judge who's nodding along with everything you're saying. And a jury who've already, they're not paying attention anymore because they already know that that guy's guilty. And you look around and in the audience, there's all kinds of people who are clapping at every charge you make. You got him. Put him in jail. But of course, if you looked closer at that courtroom inside your heart, what you would notice is that all of those faces, that judge and the jurors and the audience, they're all your face. It's all you carrying on this kangaroo court inside your heart. What kind of a trial is that? And we love that kind of a court because the truth doesn't matter. Equity doesn't matter. Justice doesn't matter. It's all about me feeling good about myself. We don't even do the service that our world does, our wicked world does, of giving that poor person a defender, a public defender, to take their case up. We don't even allow them that right when we drag them into court in our hearts. You have to know what's going on in your heart. Because, of course, by the time you get around to saying something about your neighbor to someone else, you've already said it. How many times? In your own heart. That's where the problem begins. And that's where we have to begin in thinking about our words, in thinking about etiquette. Don't say it about him. Say it to him. Now Solomon explains why you should not hastily bring what your eyes have seen into these courts. And it's kind of a surprising reason. It's shocking to me. He says, don't do it because you will be put to shame. And of course, that's the very reason why we struggle. We are so hesitant to take things to our neighbors because we are afraid we will be put to shame. That all of the charges we've mounted up, all of the accusations, all of the, the suppositions of motives and ill will, that that will be found out and we won't have anything to be angry about anymore. That's why we are afraid to take things to our neighbor. We're afraid because, as Jesus says, the measure you use against somebody else that's the measure that will be used against you. That's why we love to prosecute these kinds of things in a, a private, hidden court. It's because there the charges can't come back on you. There's nobody to prosecute you. Nobody to say, but wait a minute, what about that time you did or said? That's unfair. And that's the reason why Solomon says we should be cautious. You will be put to shame. You have to answer for your words Often in this life, maybe you've had that experience where you've put your foot in your mouth. That is so common, and we should learn from those lessons that justice is served even in this life for your words. It's also served occasionally in this life for your thoughts. Nobody can see your thoughts, but sometimes, sometimes they peek through, and then you are found out for the things that you are thinking in your heart. But even if you don't ever have to answer for the things you say, the things you think in this life, you will have to answer to Jesus. And that is a good reason to take stock of what we do with the words on our lips and in our hearts. It's like that moment when Jesus is walking with his disciples. He's kind of like, it's like he's walking ahead of them a little bit, and they're behind him, and they're having an argument about which one of them is the greatest. And Jesus, 
doesn't have to hear them to know what they're arguing about. And he says, what were you discussing on the way? And of course, they didn't want to answer him. They didn't want to say aloud to him the things that they had been arguing about with each other. Why would they do that? But Jesus knows. He knows what's on your lips. He knows what's on your heart. Can you imagine on the last day when Jesus comes up to you and says, what did you think about so-and-so? He's not going to ask you, what did you say about them? He's going to say, what did you think about them? Did you mind your thoughts? Were you cautious and careful about dragging somebody into court in your heart? How will you answer Jesus in that day? That, I think, is really the shame that Solomon is getting at. How shameful, how ashamed will we be if we have to answer for our thoughts before Jesus? And Solomon gives us some help. He takes us to the second part. Not only should you not take hastily into court what your eye has seen, you shouldn't speak about your neighbor. He goes one step further. He says you should speak to him. Did you hear that? He says, argue your case with your neighbor himself. Be honest and have some integrity. And argue the case with your neighbor himself because you're concerned about his reputation, not revealing the secret of another. What's your main concern when your neighbor does something that angers you or irritates you or bothers you or makes you bitter or is just another thing in a long list of things? What is your concern? Is it for their well-being? Or is it for guarding your own self-satisfaction? Guard his reputation by going to him, argue your case with your neighbor himself, and then, then, there is hope. Here's the problem with the courts that we carry on in our hearts and with other people's. They are hopeless. After all, what are you doing? You're sending that guy off to prison for the rest of his life in such a court. But if you go and argue the case with your neighbor himself, you are hopeful that he will hear and turn from whatever sin he is caught in. Conversation, talking, is hopeful. Silence is hopeless. Perhaps we can be reconciled. Perhaps whatever it is that is between us, whatever thorn is in our sides, that can be removed. Perhaps we can be put on the level again, and of course, our sinful hearts say, have you heard your heart say this? I don't really want to be reconciled. I don't really want to be put on the level. Why would I do that? I like it better this way. But that is so much better. To be brought back together, to be made one. This is what St. Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. What does that eagerness look like? It looks like seeing your neighbor and loving him, and wanting to take care of him, and not wanting to destroy his reputation, but instead to protect it and to help him in whatever struggles he is having. Now, for some of us, this may sound like license. Great. I have been just waiting to go and let that guy have it to his face. I can't wait to do that. That is not what is going on here. Listen carefully to the third part that Solomon says. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. A word fitly spoken. That is the right word in the right way. See the picture here. It's a picture of a jewelry shop where the jeweler is carefully, delicately placing that apple of gold right where it belongs 
in that setting of silver, not being harsh, being gentle and cautious, knowing exactly why he's doing what he's doing so that he can make something beautiful. This word fitly spoken is not just to satisfy, gratify my own desires. This is not to bring justice to the world, but it is to make something beautiful. That's the goal with our words. Our words have that power because they are charged with the gospel to create something beautiful in a world full of dry, tinder, ready to burn up in a moment. Our words can bring lushness and life and beauty. A word fitly spoken. What is it that makes a word fitly spoken? It's the right word in the right way. It's like a puzzle piece that fits just where it belongs. No other piece would go there, and that piece belongs nowhere else. That's what we're looking for when we speak not about, but to our neighbor. Now, the right word is obviously going to be the true word. Obviously, this is one of the reasons why taking your neighbor to a kangaroo court is no good, because there the truth doesn't matter. But when you speak to your neighbor, the truth does matter. The standards for truth are lax in our own courts, but when you speak to your neighbor, you give him a chance to explain himself for all of the evidence to be put on the table. Do you know the truth? And here's the thing, it's not just about the outward facts, but do you know the truth about why your neighbor did or said what he did? So often... In this court, inside our heart, we assume motives with no evidence whatsoever. What's the truth? The truth matters, and that's why when you place this word carefully, like an apple of gold in a setting of silver, you must know the truth. You have to want to know the truth and to speak truthfully. But, of course, you know it's not enough just to say a true word. You could come over to my house in the middle of the night and start pounding on the door, at 2 o'clock in the morning while everybody is sleeping, and look, if you wake Tobias up, you get to put him back to sleep, all right? You could come pounding on my door in the middle of the night at 2 o'clock in the morning, and you could say, Pastor, Jesus loves you. And I would say, yes, that's true, but now is not the time. Come back tomorrow and tell me then. A true word is not enough. It has to be a true word at the right time. Now, of course, if there's a fire in my house and you come pounding on my door, I will say thank you very much. Although you woke me up and it irritated me to be woken up, Thank you for placing that word carefully at the right time and in the right way. Love asks this question. What does my neighbor need to hear? Not, what do I want to say? Here's a great rule a friend told me once. He says, if it feels good, don't say it. If it feels good, it's the wrong word. Not, what do I want to say? And also, importantly, not, what does, not, what does my neighbor want to hear? But instead, what is good. What will help him? And this is where the gospel comes in. Remember, you are charged with the gospel. You know what good news sounds like. It sounds like dangerous things will hurt you, sin will hurt you, wickedness will lead you straight to hell, but Christ has come to forgive your sins, turn away from your sins, and live so that we can be in joy together. That's what the gospel sounds like. It's hopeful. It's what Jesus says to us. That's how you can tell a word fitly spoken. Does it sound like what Jesus would say to a poor, miserable sinner. Jesus wasn't always nice. That's important to observe. Niceness isn't everything, but he loved. He always loved the one to whom he was speaking. It was always with compassion and concern and a desire, above all else, that the sinner would be saved and restored to him. That's the word that you have heard from Jesus. And that's why any of this matters. All of this would be hopeless 
good etiquette in the kingdom of God, it would be hopeless but for the fact that God has been gracious and merciful to you. He has shown you what a word fitly spoken sounds like. Jesus died for you, took all of your sins to the grave, buried them as far as can be. He didn't prosecute you in a court, a kangaroo court of injustice. In fact, he put all of the injustice on his own son. And he spoke to you. He addressed himself to you. He did not reveal your secrets to anyone else. Instead, he brought them to you and he said, I would like to take these away from you. I'd like to take your sin from you. I'd like to make you whole and restore you again. Be blessed by the Lord. That is a word fitly spoken. It is so hopeful. And this is how we must behave as Christians. Hopefully. I said this to you last time. Jesus raises the dead. And if he raises the dead, then when he says to you, speak words fitly spoken so that his good news, his graciousness sounds out in your voice, you can certainly do it. And what a glorious thing it is. A wise reprover to a listening ear is like a gold ring or an ornament of gold. Be wise reprovers and have listening ears. This is a good time to reflect. Have you had a listening ear? Have you welcomed reproof? Have you been a wise reprover, coming delicately, carefully, with a scalpel, cautiously, gently? Or have you been coming with a cleaver, (laughs) ready to hack away? How have you been a wise reprover? Have you had a listening ear? Now here's the thing about life together as Christians. If you have sinned in any of these ways, and believe me, we all have, now is the time to repent. Now is the time to confess and turn away from our sin and receive once again the mercy of God. He wants to give you a new heart. Remember, it's your heart that is the problem. He wants to give you a new heart. Let him have your old one and receive from him a new one day after day. Show graciousness to your neighbor by repenting. Teach repentance by repenting. Teach humility by being humble. And here's the promise. Just as Jesus was exalted by his heavenly Father when he was laid low in the grave, forgiving our sins, so also your heavenly Father wants to exalt you. It's all laid out before you. It's so beautiful and on offer from God himself for you. Rejoice. That God has undertaken to teach you such wonderful things. That he has undertaken to bless you in such marvelous ways. That he wants to give you a kingdom. A kingdom that is full of words fitly spoken and beauty and joy forever. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.